Gale's open, they're away in the Golden Slipper, there's a great start, and Mick Mitt Basque on the extreme outside is about the first out, Jeff Boyle. Jagler on the outside, lunging, but Catlin opening just in front, Jagler trying desperately, can't reach him. Catlin opening has lasted to win the Doncaster by a hit to Jagler. This I podcast is brought to you by Racing New South Wales, Sky Racing and Inglis. Not even the absence of enthusiastic crowds will detract from the quality of racing at this year's Spring Carnival. Take Saturday, September the 18th, for example. Highlight is the time-honoured George Main Stakes, supported by the Group 2 Shorts. The Princess Series continues with the Group 2 T-Rose, and then there's the Group 3 Bill Ritchie and the Group 3 Kingston Town Stakes. Saturday, September the 25th, features the Group 1 Golden Rose, the Golden Pendant for the Phillies and Mares, the Epsom lead-up, the Group 2 Shannon Stakes, and the gloaming for the budding three-year-old stayers over 1,800 metres. A little piece of history comes into the equation on Saturday, October 2nd, when the Tab Epsom gets top billing. It's the first time the historic mile has offered 1.5 million in prize money. The Heineken Metropolitan carries 750,000, as does the Dali Flight Stakes, the final leg of the Princess Series. The very best horses will be playing to empty houses, but those watching off course will still thrill to some truly great theatre. The Australian Turf Club and Racing New South Wales proudly presents the 2021 Spring Racing Carnival. Rod Northam is one of those trainers who goes quietly about his job producing regular winners from a team which rarely exceeds 30 horses. In the early stages of his career, he had stables at Musselbrook from which he worked a handful of racehorses and a substantial number of breakers. In fact, horse breaking had been a big part of his early years in the industry. Rod was lucky enough to acquire boxers in the well-appointed Scone Complex in the year 2000 and slowly built the business. A mare called Cleared gave him his first training win in 2001 and another mare called Simi Sue gave him his initial city win at Canterbury a year later. Rosa Spur became his first stakes winner in 2007, just before equine influenza made its presence felt. Not surprisingly, Rod rates the very talented Big Money as his best performer. This son of Swazir won 10 races and $800,000, despite the fact that he was troubled by feet issues for most of his career. Rod's eye for a yearling and his ability with two-year-olds is best illustrated by an amazing five wins in the Scone Inglis two-year-old challenge. Rod Northam is now 50 years old and reaping the benefits of wide experience gained as a work rider, horse breaker, stud management and yearling preparer. You'll be surprised to learn about the places this man has been and the people he's worked for. It's a great pleasure to welcome Rod Northam to the podcast. Thanks for your time, Rod. Oh, thank you very much, John. It's a pleasure to be talking to you. You know, Brett Kavanagh told me once he has no desire to train anywhere else other than Scone. Are you of the same mindset? Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty comfortable where I am uh, at the moment. Um, but you never say never. Um, I mean, maybe 
when uh, when I start to slow down a bit, a place on the coast might be a little bit uh, a little bit a little bit kinder weather. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Put yeah. it that way. Oh yeah, the winters are a bit uh, Piccadilly. <laughs> oh, they can be a bit chilly. <laughs> they yeah. sure can. You know, as I said, you rarely exceed thirty horses. Now, is this because of available accommodation, or is thirty your preferred number? Um, yeah, uh, probably a bit of both. Thirty um, is just a really easy number. And, and there isn't, you know, there's no opportunity to have more than that here at Scone at the moment, but there could be in the next uh, next sort of 12 to 18 months when mm. uh, Racing New South Wales start building a few boxes. But um, I wouldn't want to have more than 50, mm. uh, but, but 30 is is a quite an easy number for me to manage. Mm. You were actually born in Taree, the only boy in a family of four kids, but a job opportunity took your dad to Singleton where he and mum actually ran a dairy farm. Now, a handful of horses were registered on the property, so it wasn't long before you were jumping on their backs and teaching yourself to ride. Yeah, well, um, yeah, so, yeah, Dad always always had a couple of horses around him. Um, he bought a, a broodmare from the Scone Sales, actually, um, and, and bred a couple of slow race horses. So we had a few horses around us. Um, Mm. My sisters, one of my sisters had a pony, um, and I really didn't have much, much you know, inclination to want to ride horses. But uh, I did get on it one day, and it took off on me. And I thought, oh, gee, this felt pretty good. <laughs> everyone, every, everyone, come around and said, oh, you're okay, you're okay. I said, yeah, no, it was great. Let's do it again. Oh dear. Um, so yeah, so I, but I, but I liked, I liked racing. Dad, dad loved racing. So um, I remember having my first bet uh, when I was when I was seven on Reckless in the Melbourne Cup. Reckless, and, yeah. Um, yeah, so, um, you know, so I, I, I sort of had the racing bug, but I didn't have the riding bug till I was about 12, mm. um, and then I sort of got hooked from there. Mm. Wasn't the Reckless story a romantic tale? He was trained by dear old Tommy Woodcock, who was getting on in years, and it was not not so much to Tommy, but I think to the racing media, it was the far lap scenario all over again. Oh yeah, it, yeah, it was. Um, it was a funny thing because we used to have the the family sweep, and I wanted um, gold and black, and I think I started crying because I didn't get the favourite. And um, dad <laughs> dad read the reckless story about Tommy Woodcock, and I was mm. I was hooked on Tommy Woodcock from then on. I just I wanted to be a strapper from from that mm. from then on. All I wanted to do want to do was be a strapper like him with far lap. Um, mm. So. Um, you know, I got hooked on the on the Tommy Woodcock story, and and he, he was an amazing person. Yeah, there's a beautiful photo on file in many an archive of Tommy and Reckless laying in the straw together at the stables in Melbourne, both sound asleep. Have you seen that pic? Oh, I have, I have for sure. Yeah, I've read I've read quite a few books about Tommy, and um, you know, I've seen that photo. It's it's an amazing photo, and, and such a gentle man with a horse. He was so kind. Mm. Uh, to his horses, I think that was um, the horses wanted to do things for him because he was so kind to them. It was a, mm. So the way he got the best out of his horses, I thought was was quite um, quite remarkable. One of your grandfathers was a farrier, and he also trained high jumpers. A lot of people listening to us, Rod, will wonder what the hell was a high jumper. <laughs> yeah, well, he, um, uh, my grandfather, in the, the turn of the century. My, my my dad was 
quite old when um, when he had me and, and my grandfather was quite old when he had dad. So mm. my grandfather was born in the sort of late 1800s and uh, he had high jumpers mm. at the beginning of the 1900s and um, my uncle used to ride them and, and the story goes he'd be riding them bareback and he'd go over, they had to just get over the jump. To the, that was all they had to do. So he'd mm. be off them by the time they hit the ground on the other side. He'd, he'd float beside them in midair. But mm. um, yeah, I think they had the had the champion. They won the champion at the Sydney Royal mm. a few years there, and had the had the record there for a while. Mm. Your dad's name was Pat, and he hobby trained a few horses from time to time. Picnickers mainly. Yeah, it was mainly his his, um, his little pony that he he got. Um, um, when he was well, when he was a teenage boy, uh, I think my grandfather bought a mare and um, didn't know, but she was in foal, and um, there was no stallion around where he'd bought the mare from from the property. Mm. So they presumed that, that the Brumby must have got to the mare over the fence. <laughs> so so Dad was given the foal to ride to school, and he had her. And then as he got older, he, he trained her for a few picnic races, and um, she was very quick around the barrels and things like that. So he mm. um, yeah he won a few races with her. Mm. Your mum Shirley had a brother whose nickname suggests that he'd jump on anything. His name was Bronco. Yeah, no, that that was her father. Oh, that dad. was my other grandfather. Yep. Yeah, yeah, no, he he was Bronco, uh, Bronco Johnson. He was um, mm. he rode in a few rodeos when he was younger. But if anyone had a rough horse horse around um, around Taree or Kempsey where where they came from, he was. Um, he was the one they'd, they'd come and sort out to uh, jump on it and sort it out. <laughs> mm. At age 14 or 15, you started to do some casual work on the Carrington Stud at Jerry's Plains. They had some handy stallions there in your time. Yeah, they they did. Um, they had Twig Moss, who was a, was a champion stallion at the time, um, had Zephyr Bay. Uh, kind music, Tate Gallery. So it was quite a big start. It was a it was a big operation then. It was a big com- commercial operation. Mm. Um, so I was lucky enough to work there on weekends and and school holidays when I was a teenager. Um, I probably put the end of my schooling career. I sort of got <laughs> I got hooked on the, on the horses and didn't worry too much about the books then. Yeah. Um, but, but they had some amazing <laughs> amazing horses there. Leilani was there. I used to look after her. She was a yeah. she was a lovely lovely mare and obviously a champion racehorse and. Yeah. Um, I used to. Um, you fussed over her. her. You fed her personally, didn't you? Every night. Yeah, I did. I used to, where I where I stayed. I used to have to feed her on the way home of an afternoon. So mm. I used to feed her and muck her amber and give her a few pats and um, think about think about what she was. Um, she was yeah. an amazing horse, and um, she did get in foal that year too because she had had a lot of fertility problems. Oh, did she? she did. Three. Yeah, she only ever had the three foals, and and she got in foal that year, so that was good. Mm. But. Um, yeah, no, I, I learned a bit at Carrington. That was my first sort of working in the thoroughbred industry. Yeah. As you say, she had three foals, two of them in New Zealand and only one in Australia. Now, she had a filly by Twig Moss. I think uh, its name was Skylarking. Was, was, did she have that foal when you were there? Yeah, well, she got in foal when I was there. I didn't see the foal. No. Um, but, yeah, that was when I was there that she got in foal, Twig Moss. Yeah, oh, what a bonny little mare. Plain-looking little thing, wasn't she? You, you wouldn't look oh, twice, really. No, you wouldn't. And she was she was difficult to catch. You had to you had to be care. You had to go about her and and trick her. And um, but yeah, no, she she taught me how to catch a horse as well. Did she really? The great <laughs> she, Leilani. She was quite difficult difficult to catch, but um, we we got along pretty well in the end. 
Yeah, she won six Group 1s, including the 1974 Caulfield Cup. And, you know, when she retired, Rod, she was Australasia's leading stake earnings mayor. No mayor had won more in Australia or New Zealand at that time. Yeah, well, obviously, Leilani Lodge, so the, mm. the Bart must have thought a lot of her. Um, but, um, yeah, no, she was an amazing mayor. Um, mm. Just, like you said, a record speaks for itself. You finished year 11 in school, but you tell me the teachers didn't actually encourage you to go any further. <laughs> yeah, well... I think uh, uh, at the end of year 10, they said, oh, yes, uh, Rodney will be fine. He'll handle senior studies. And Halfway through year 11, they said, oh, he's struggling. And then at uh, <laughs> the end of year 11, they said, don't come back. Um, but at, at that time was when I was working at Carrington Stud, and I think um, my mind was elsewhere, more on racetrack magazines and turf monthlies and, yeah. uh, <laughs> than anything else. A familiar story. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Rugby league was your great sporting interest at that time and you later had the distinction of playing for the iconic Singleton Greyhounds. Where were the talent scouts, Rodney? They obviously didn't see you. <laughs> too, too, too skinny and too slow. <laughs> that, that, was, that, was, that was my problem. But, um, yeah, I played with some good players. Matty Rodwell was in was our halfback. Mm. He was um, he played for oh, four or five different clubs in the NRL. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we had a good we had a good team. We had a lot of fun. We had a lot of good football mates. Um, um, and, and it was a good time uh, when you're sort of 17, 18 playing football with with your mates. There's, there's nothing better. So um, yeah, so I was was putting putting weight on to play football and losing weight to try and ride horses. <laughs> when your dad was taking you to football games in the 1980s. You'd often see a famous Musselbrook jockey on his way to a Sydney race meeting. Yeah, yeah, all the time we'd um, we'd uh, Dad and I would head head north. I'd, I'd play football up the valley, and, and Mum and the girls would head um, south to play hockey mm. down towards Newcastle. So Dad and I'd be in the little mini, and uh, we'd pass the white RX seven with the with the green with the blue and red stripe. We'd um, See, um, we'd always keep an eye out for for Wayne Harris heading to heading to Sydney, mm. and then uh, on the way back from the football, we'd listen to the listen to his rides and um, listen to the to the races, and yeah, yeah we, we that was our it was a good time. We used used to love it. It was a good time with Dad. I think Wayne Harris can be best summed up by simply saying he was one of the most brilliant jockeys of his generation. Oh, definitely, definitely, and, and a brilliant person as well. Mm. I get along really well with Wayne now. We've, we've, um, he's actually just been helping me out with Reese, Reese at the moment, and um, mm. yeah, we we go back with with Jean and and St Covert, two horses I had an association with when I was at Lindsay Park. So um, mm. we often talk about those as well. Mm. Yeah, well, St Covert, he won, uh, he won a couple of Group Ones on St Covert, Sire's Produce at Randwick, and yeah. the Caulfield yep. Guineas. Yeah, no, he did. He did. He mm. had a good association with him. Yeah. On leaving school, you got a job at a little stud farm called Delwood Park at Brankston. You spent eight or nine months there, and this is where your riding really improved. Yeah, well, it had to. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, they were, um, it was a little bit rough and ready. Um, I sort of went there not thinking I was riding horses, but they got thrown on a few horses straight away. Mm. Um, 
so it was it was a really good learning curve the i sort of got left to to break in the horses by myself um uh, the person who was breaking them and breaking them in left as, as i arrived and mm. i sort of started breaking them in and it's, it used to go home at night and ask dad what to do and sort of work my way around it and yeah did it really really proud with the job i did with the horses that were there um and rode rode horses track work as well there was a few um a few wild ones that um used to ride as well so um mm. i was pretty happy if i had an over 50 percent strike rate at the end of the week if i if i if i went six more went went better than three mornings with um out falling off i was pretty happy <laughs> so, <laughs> Great strike rate. It was rate. rough and ready, but it was a good learning, good good place to learn. You were absolutely delighted when you were accepted by the famous Marcus Oldham College at Geelong, where you spent a year and made some great friends. Time well spent. Yeah, it was time well spent. It um, um, Mum pushed me to do it, and it was probably the best thing um, that, that that could have happened. Um, I went from living on a on a farm, a dairy farm, and um, not really uh, going to town once a week. And then when I was working, just going to work, and that was it. So I, I, I got down there to socialise with people who sort of liked horses and um, and sort of had some friends from you know, the Lowry family. Um, Guy Lowry from Okawa Stud mm. uh, was there, and Tony Osborne from the Osborne Trotting family, and people from england and ireland and overseas so it was um you know it was really it was really good education it was a real eye-opener and um yeah no I, I loved it i wouldn't have um i don't know what i would have done if i hadn't been there so no that was really good it really got me focused and, and taught me a lot about horse anatomy and um and, and how to feed horses and, and nutrition and mm. yeah, just the whole business side of things which was which was great you were 19 years old and ready to take on the world when you landed a job as a track work rider at the world-famous Lindsay Park Training and Breeding Empire at Angerston in South Australia. Pretty exciting stuff. Yeah, it was. It was. It was, um, it was mind-blowing. Um, the, at the time, uh, 1991, I think David had just had his um, – trained all the stakes winners on Derby Day. I can't remember how many there was. Um, Better Loosen Up was there. Um, you know, Zabil was there. It was just mm. you'd walk along, and I'd just shake my head at the the names of the horses, and um, it was just and it was very hands on there. They, you know, you were allowed to get in with the good horses and work with the good horses, and um, no, I, I, I loved it. It was it was absolutely brilliant. It was it was a great move, and um, you know, I spent I spent seven years there mm. uh, on and off. Um, um, so yeah, no, it was it was really good. Unfortunately, a track work fall at Lindsay Park left you with a pretty nasty injury, which put you in hospital and put you under the surgeon's knife. Uh, yeah, yeah. Now, I had a bad fall. Um, a horse sort of galloped on my chest and didn't really break any ribs, but it, it just um, sort of punctured my lung and had an air pocket putting pressure on my heart. So mm. I had to have a bit of a bit of surgery, and um, it was a, it was. Uh, the boss's um, Colin Hayes's um, surgeon who who did the operation on me. Um, he um, and Colin was a, a um, longest living triple heart by, bypass patient, and mm. um, so his surgeon operated on me. He was a good client of the of the stable, 
So, um, yeah, we had a bit of an association, Foss and I. We, we got along quite well. We used to talk about, <laughs> talk about our hearts. Um, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so, so that, that put me back and I couldn't really ride track work there for, for six months. I, um, I went and did, did the yearling preparation. So mm. I did some yearlings, the Adelaide preparation. And then um, I was lucky enough we took 17 yearlings from Adelaide up to, to the Easter sales. Did you? And I was mm. in, yeah, yeah, it was, it was great. And I was in charge of those, um, which was a bit of an eye-opener. I sort of got thrown in the deep end. Yeah. Um, we had some bluebirds, second crop of bluebirds, I think, and Alzaios mm. and Rory's Jesters, so they were really nice horses. Mm. So um, we were very busy and, um, you know, I loved it. I loved the whole yearling sales. I loved, loved going to the sales and looking at young horses. It's mm. um, something I really enjoy. Well, after that English Easter sale, you went back to Lindsay Park and you completed another season of breaking in, and then the wanderlust bit. You resigned to go overseas. Now, Rod, before we leave Lindsay Park, mention of Colin Hayes. You say no man had a more profound influence on your life. Oh no, he he was just a wonderful person. He um he had a, a massive influence on me and. I used to follow him around and just try and learn what I could. Um, you know, when 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 I actually when I came back to Lindsay Park and I was running running the, the breaking in and the, and the pre training and um, spelling and he he'd come to come to my house at lunchtime. He'd be at the horn. I'd come outside and we'd, we'd go for a drive around the farm for a couple of hours and mm. just look at horses and, and talk about pastures and just the way things work and um, yeah, just. I used to love listening to his stories. It was um, it was great. Yeah, he was a gentleman, wasn't he? Oh, he's an, he was an absolute gentleman. He, he was he was really nice, nice man. He was like a sort of like a second father to me. There, he was he was great. Well, off goes young Rod Northam to England, where you got a job with a jumps trainer near that beautiful little Cotswold town of Banbury. Who was the trainer? Uh, Jumbo, Mark Wilkinson, Jumbo Wilkinson, he was known as, mm-hmm. um, well, not a very prominent trainer. He did, did train a winner at Cheltenham, uh, I think after I left. Um, but we didn't have a lot of success while I was there. Mm. Um, uh, but it was interesting. Um, it was very interesting training on a, on a country estate and, um, yeah, just a beautiful place, a beautiful part of the country. Mm. And, um, and the, and the jumpers, they were, they were different horses. They were real genuine, tough tough horses mm. um yeah I, I liked riding them actually they were they were really good mm. uh, it was good fun um but yeah i sort of spent six months there um and and then sort of sort of got a maybe got a little bit homesick and um the what the cold weather got to me a little bit <laughs> I, mm. I had to sort of think about heading home and, and and i got a phone call from lindsay park to, to do the the easter yearlings again so mm-hmm. um I sort of took up that opportunity. Yeah, now we've jumped ahead a bit here because there's one lovely little story you tell. One day, Jumbo Wilkinson got you to take a horse to a meeting at Kempton Park in Surrey and you saw a horse win a race that day who would become a headliner in Australia. Yeah, I I, I did. Now, um, I think it was called the Bonus Part Sprint. Bonus Park Sprint States, I think it was called, and um, mm. Jean, um, Jean won it and, and, and won it very impressively. He won it by sort of four lengths, mm. pulling away from them. And I sort of after the race thought, oh, I need to have a look at this horse, never a proper look at this horse. And 
as he was, he came, they came back onto the racetrack to head back to the stalls, and I, I walked out onto the track and looking him walk away from me, and mm. grey-haired old fella got in my road, and um, I was sort of trying to look around, and he turned around, and it was the boss, Colin Hayes. Goodness yes. me. He was there with with Angus Gold, and um, yeah. they were looking at him because Germ was a three year old then, mm. and um, and he and he and he wanted to buy him. He he had Angus Gold there, wanting to buy the horse, and mm. um, he was owned by an old Scotsman who was who was in his eighties, mm. been had horses his whole life, and um, and it was his first good horse, and he wouldn't sell him. Mm. So um, so no, they couldn't secure Germ then, but um, they did get him some years later on. He won four Group 1s in Australia. He placed in another four. He won almost $3 million. Now, he didn't deserve the bad rap that he got uh, in the latter part of his career when a lot of people thought he was a non-trier. That couldn't have been further from the truth. Uh, Rod, he had shocking joints, and the harder the tracks were, the tougher he did it. Oh yeah, yeah. He was a, he was a freak of a horse. When he got off the float, um, like you know, I think he was a six-year-old stallion, and I think we first started doing a bit of pre-training with him, um, just trotting him around, and he was his joints were weren't great then. Um, you know, we was, I sort of thought, well, how's this horse ever going to get to the races? Um, but fair play to him. He he would he was tough. He he would. Um, a little bit of give in the ground, it, it was his ideal surface. And, and sometimes he'd loom up to him on a hard track and mm. not really let down. Um, but you could totally, like I could totally understand it. I think, if, I think the, um, the racing public sometimes thought he was a bit of a cat, but um, mm. it, it wasn't the case at all. He, he had really, it was amazing what he did on, on, the, on the front legs that he had. So mm. I, you know, he, was a, he had a heart, a massive heart. He was a lovely horse. $3 million is a decent sort of a cat. Oh, not wrong. <laughs> not wrong. I'd like a few of those cats in my stables. Oh, dear me. <laughs> so back in Australia, as you mentioned, you rejoined Lindsay Park and you spent a very busy but rewarding five years there. Finally, back in New South Wales and you were still very keen on the breeding side of the business. You spent a short time at Barrimal Stud, which is now owned by Jerry Harvey, it was then owned by Sir Tristan Antico. What did you do at Barrimal? Um, I just did a bit of pre-training and and um, a bit of breaking in. Um, sort of didn't work out. I was sort of they were, they were, when I first went there. I was gonna, they wanted me to train some horses from there, and mm-hmm. it was just too far away. Um, so I only only sort of spent six months there um, doing that, and then moved from there to another another stud farm up in Queensland where they needed a hand to get to get started um, up at Noble Park. Mm-hmm. And I basically just um, looked after Stallion and um, did a lot of farm work. I, I enjoyed um, I enjoyed that, actually. It was a nice little break to get away from the horses and mm-hmm. go back to my dairy, my dairy farming days and r- drive a tractor around and plant a few paddocks and mm-hmm. make a bit of hay and that sort of stuff. Um, so I did that for a little while and, and then I had a uh, I sort of got a contract to um, to break in some horses at Taree. I broke in about thirty horses there for a guy, mm. and then then from there moved to Musselbrook to to start start training and breaking in. Rod Northam, we'll just take a little break on the podcast. We'll clear this commitment, and when we come back, we're going to highlight some of the horses who've contributed significantly 
to your training career. Back after this. Trainers strive to have horses spot on for race day. Fuel cells up, the right mental state, the right fitness levels. Equally important is the horse's capacity to recover quickly from racing and track work. The aim is to give owners every opportunity to win optimum prize money by keeping a horse in training for as long as possible. High Gain Recuperate is a powerful blend of electrolytes, B-group vitamins and vitamin E in paste form which can be administered after fast work and in the days leading up to a race to assist recovery. 30ml of Recuperate drawn from the 500ml bulk pack is the economical alternative to individual electrolyte and vitamin paste syringes. High Gain Recuperate powers performance and recovery. Visit the High Gain website and use promo code johntap.racing to receive 15% off your next Recuperate purchase. The talented Big Money stands alone in your mind as the best horse you've trained. He had 40 starts, 10 wins, 9 placings, $800,000 and shocking feet. That's him. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's him. Now he was he was a um, he was a super horse. Um, one of my first clients owned him as well, Phil Gunter, who was who was a great supporter of my st- of my stable and myself the whole way through. Mm. Um, but yeah, I, I trained his mother, Lynn's Money, who who um, Phil bought for five thousand, mm. and and I think she won nine races, a few in Sydney, and and then Big Money came along and. Mm. We didn't think he's a beautiful yearling, but he, he feet he must have found it when he was a foal or or a, or a young or a weanling, and mm. um, his his feet were terrible on X-ray, but um, but yeah, we figured it figured it out. Um, James Bouth, um, Irish farrier who um, was come from Coolmore Stud, he he used to shoe him for me, mm. uh, and as you said, he used to shoe him opposite ways he'd shoe any other horse just yeah. to just to keep him sound. Um, so he used to, we used to have a lot of trouble with his heels. He used to have to put a lot of pressure on his heels to take the pressure off his, um, off his mm-hmm. pedal bone. Um, so we'd have a lot of trouble with that as well. So it, it just for, for him to do what he did was, was amazing. But when he was right, he was, um, he was right up there with the best of them. Mm. Well, he certainly was. He won a group three Healy in Brisbane. He won the 2014 Ramoni handicap and ran second in another one. He won the yep. Group 3 George Moore at Doombin and he won the listed Loch Ney at Doombin. And, Rod, he ran in six Group 1s all up. Yeah, he did. He did. He um, didn't have a lot of luck in a couple of them as well. Um, yeah, he even went to Adelaide and ran, ran really well in, in a Goodwood um, from an impossible position turning for home. Mm. Um, yeah, he was He was just a really good horse. He was a great horse for me because – we did a lot of travelling. We went to Adelaide and Brisbane and Melbourne, and um, it was it was really good fun. Um, yeah. You know, and he, and he always ran well. He always um, you always knew he'd put in for you. Mm. After all, that was a very good horse for the stable. He had thirty runs, five wins, seven placings, pretty close to half a million dollars. He won a Tab Highway at Randwick. He ran second in a Country Championship Wild Card. He ran second in the final of the country championship and sixth in the Kosciuszko, beaten about five lengths. Lovely horse. Yeah, he was. He was he was a ripping horse. Um he had a bit of a story to him. I, I, I bought him I bought him as a breeze up horse. I was gonna um 
put him back through the breeze up sales. Um, I think I paid 30000 for him. Mm. And um, his last gallop before the sale, he, he fractured, the hairline fractured the wing of his pelvis. Mm. And um, so he, he pulled up quite sore and we had to give him six months off for that to heal. Um, so that put him out of the sale and um, <laughs> meant that I was going to own him. Um, so he had the six months and then um, brought him back in and then he did it again um, at a, a different spot uh, on his pelvis. Uh, I sent him down for um, for the x-rays in Sydney and they said, oh, it's a different spot, um, but give him nine months. So I, I gave him 12. Oh, dear. And, yeah. Um, brought him back and uh, he won first up by four and, and went on from there as a, as a four-year-old. Mm. So, um, yeah, he wasn't didn't race till he was four, but um, – the patience paid off in the end. That was that was how he got his name after all that. Oh, really? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because yeah, there's yeah. so much went wrong with him that um, there, yeah, so he, he got that name. A logical name. You had a lot mm. of time from Mia called Maya Mirror. She won seven. She was placed eight times. She won close to three hundred thousand. She won a South Grafton Cup, and from her future uh, broodmare uh, value, she won a Group Three Bell of the Turf at Gosford. Yeah, she she did. She was a she was a great mare. Um, she was another one I, I trained the mother, Simi Sue, um, another long time client, um, Jim Newton, who's still got horses with me now. We mm. we've still got the progeny of Maya Mira uh, coming through. Um, so she was she was very rewarding. Her, her mother, Simi Sue, was was probably the hardest horse I've ever broken in my life. Really, um, mm. and I'm, I'm t- I was breaking two hundred horses a year there for yeah. for a while. Um, I'd never had a had a horse like her. She um, she just wouldn't canter. Uh, you'd get on her, and it took me a long time to get her to trot, um, mm. but I could not get her to take a step of canter Good without her bucking and kicking, and she just wouldn't go forward. So I couldn't really figure out what to do to get her to, to canter. I ended up getting somebody on a pony mm. um, to ride right behind me and yell and scream and right sort of – Right directly behind, right out of her eye line, so that she had to sort of look, mm-hmm. so that she got scared of the pony and would go forward and can her off. It was the only way I could teach her to. And after after doing that for a month or so, of a horse right up a bum, she sort of relaxed enough to to can her on her own. And, mm-hmm. and said, as you said, she was my first city winner, and then then she produced Maya Mira, and um, mm-hmm. she had a bit of attitude, not as much as a mother, but um, but she she had plenty of attitude, and she was she was a great mare. She was tough. Mm. Tough, real determined man. If they if they'll put that fire in the, in the right direction, they usually make the grade, don't they? Oh, they do. They do. You've just sort of got to try and figure out how to um, yeah put all that energy in 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 the right way. But mm. um, she was very tricky. I, I used to had a lot of sleepless nights trying to figure out what what the <laughs> bloody hell I was going to do to get this yeah. horse. A horse trainer <laughs> having a sleepless night? You're kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, yeah. Oh, so, yeah. Um, but no, but uh, but yeah, my mirror was a great, great mirror, and now I've got the progeny coming through. Who um, I've got a nice Piero Filiato, who I rate to be. I think's going to be quite nice. Right. What stage is she at the Piero? Uh, she's nearly ready the trial. She's she's a couple of weeks off having a trial, and mm. um, yeah, she won't do much this prep, but she'll she'll come back better next time. She got a name yet? Uh, she's called Love Rules. Love Rules. We'll keep an eye out. By Piero from Maya Mirror. Yep, yep. Rob, the race you've all but owned in the last decade is the English two-year-old challenge at Scone. 
Your five winners in order are O'Kane 2010, Tinzelda 2012, Voodoo Lad 2014, Little Sergeant Dokes in 2015 and Spilt in 2019. Voodoo Lad was the dearest of them. Yeah, he was the dearest and probably the best. <laughs> yeah. The best by a long way. Um, that was that was an, an interesting story. He, I bought him from the sales. He was bred by um, Noel Leckie, mm-hmm. who um, from the Scone Race Club. He was, a, um, um, he was in charge of the Scone Race Club for many years. And uh, he said to me, oh, if you, if you buy this horse, I'll stay in for 25%. Mm-hmm. So um, I went to buy him and I was, I was underbitter and Sejin Ho. Um, bought the horse, um, Kevin Maloney, yeah. and um, Noel was kind enough to to mention to Kevin that uh, I was underbidder and you know target the race next year, and yeah. um, they they gave me the horse to train for the race, and um, oh, they did the right thing. Yeah, so it was mm. great. So I, I I got the horse, and he ended up being a really nice horse, and just had a few soundness issues after after he ran third in the country championships, mm. and. Um, they thought they'd be better better off uh, down on the beach uh, with Darren Weir, so he had that way, and and then ended up winning a Group One. So yeah, uh, he was he was a he was a great horse. He had a lot of ability. You tell me, Odyssey Moon had as much ability as any horse you've ever trained, but he was left an entire, and that was his undoing. You won a two-year-old at Randwick with him. You were placed in a Skyline and a Pago Pago. He finished right on the heels of the place getters in a golden slipper. He dead heated for second in the size produce. And later on, he won some races with Robert Smurden. But the best was never seen of him, Rod, Odyssey Moon. No, no. He, he, um, he had an amazing ability. Um, he, could, he could really gallop. Um, he just, the two things between his hind legs used to pull him, used yeah. to pull him back. Um, he'd cruise up to horses. You'd think he's going to go past them, and then he'd he'd just sit beside them and and have a good look at them. Yeah, switch off. <laughs> if you know what mm. I mean. He'd um, yeah, and, and he he, but he had had some some ability, but um, yeah, unfortunately, being being a cold, I'm I'm sure he'll throw a really good horse. Mm. Um, uh, I reckon for sure he'll throw a decent horse, but um, it'll probably be a filly or a gelding, I'd think. <laughs> Where does he stand? Do you know? He stands at Twin Hills. Um, Ollie Tate's place. Down at Ollie's place. Yep. Oh, good. Yep. yep. So I send a mare down to him every year. So mm. we've got a few young ones that come through that um, hopefully might make the grade. You had a bit of fun with a Waterhouse cast off called Red Knot, a Canamble Cup, a Coonabarabran Cup, and a Warren Cotton Cup, and about four other races. He was a bit of fun. He was a great bit of fun. Yeah, no, he was he was a, a good horse to take to the races. Another tough, uh, tough front running sort of horse. Um, really good, uh, good owners. Paul Frampton and um, and Reg Inglis owned him. Um, so they from from Mary War. So they love winning the, those country cups. Um, used to get very excited when he when he'd win a cup. Um, he used to, um, mm. I think. Um, it was more of a thrill for them to to win the win their local country cups and than win races in town. I think sometimes. So, mm-hmm. um, no, he was he was a, he was a good handy horse, um, and uh, he was good for the stable. Any country cups hard to win. I think people sometimes underestimate um, how hard they are to win. But mm-hmm. um, you should all 
I mean, Luke Luke Griffiths, the local trainer, um, at Scone when I first started training, he won a lot of lot of country cups, mm. and uh, he told me when I won my first one, I think it was which was Corindai. Yeah. He said, "Don't ever undersell it." And he said, "Look, there's locals that live in this town that have been trying to win that cup for a hundred years." Yeah. He said, "Don't don't you ever undersell winning a, winning a country cup." He said, mm. Good Take advice. It. It's, it's a big thing. So um, I've always always thought of it that way, and I, I love to win country cups. You've got a pretty nice mare racing at the moment called Spiranak, winner of five races so far, including a country championship qualifier, and you're hoping she'll attract the attention of one of the Kosciuszko slot holders. Have you had any phone calls yet? Uh, we've had a call. Yeah, no, we've had a phone call, and um, and the, the person's not in a hurry, which mm. is probably good advice, I think. I think a few of them jump in a bit too soon. Um, but... Um, yeah, we've had a phone call, um, so hopefully um, she can take her spot in the field. She'll have another run before then. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but, um, yeah, it'd be nice if she could get a spot in the race. I think she deserves it. Her, yeah. her, forms, um, her form merits her, her taking her, her spot in, in the race. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm sure she'd run well. Um, I'd be disappointed if she didn't finish the first half of the field, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, she ran so. very well, I thought, first up at Randwick the other day. Rod, she... She just looked as though she needed the run. Yeah, she did. She needed the run, and, and that's what I've said to the to the, the guy that's rung me. I mean, there's, there's a lot of improvement to come. We could have just trialled her and then gone into the race underdone, but I want to go into the race third up, fit, mm. ready to win it. I don't I don't want to be mucking around just no. trying to get her in it for, for the sake of getting in it. No. Um, so, so that's that's my plan. Uh, she'll have one more run. Um, I'm not exactly sure where yet, but um, she'll have one more run and then go into the race third up and uh, may even have a gear change of blinkers as well. But uh, mm. very very happy with her. Um, and, yeah, she's a nice mare. Sure, she's going to win a lot more races yet too. Mm, she's named after Paige uh, Spiranak, of course, who had a very fleeting career as a professional golfer before opting for a social media involvement which has rapidly become her career. <laughs> very attractive and very smart woman. <laughs> mm. She's um, yeah. She um, the, the guys that are in her in in Spiranak, uh, She's out of a mare called Make Me a Supermodel. Um, so they're mad golfers, and so they went for the modelling golfer, and that's how she got her name. Mm. It's interesting to note that the two jockeys who've commanded most of your rides in recent years. Uh, Greg Ryan and Robert Thompson. Between them, they have ridden thousands of winners. You can't pay for that kind of experience, complemented by the fact that neither suffered from fragile nerve, that they were both marvels. Oh, two, two brilliant horsemen. Um, unbelievable. Two people have probably... Um... Uh, there was probably the, they were probably the best horse in my stable as I was as I was learning to train. For it really, mm. um, you could send a horse out and Robert would come back and he'd give you an assessment, and tell you straight away, this is this is no good, or take it over the range, it'll win one over there, or you say, oh, you've got a good one here, boy. <laughs> so, mm. um, yeah, no, that sort of advice, and you know, if you're you're worried about a horse, its action or, or its breathing or anything like that, um, yeah, just Get really good feedback. You can't beat experience um, no, no. like that on, on with jockeys on your horses to get good feedback. Did you ever hear Robert Thompson's famous cliche 
uh, when he dismounted from a really slow one. He'd look <laughs> left and right to make sure that nobody could hear him and he'd say to the trainer, I think this needs a change of address. <laughs> yeah, he, he would say that. He'd say, I don't, I don't think you want to be training this one. <laughs> so, <laughs> so uh, yeah, yep, no problem. Thanks, Robert. Uh, he's, he's, he was very, very good to me and a really good mate. Um, mm. Over the years, he's he's been great. Um, he used to enjoy when when Arthur used to come to the races as well. He used to love chatting to Arthur and, and, mm. and listen to his stories as well. Um, mm. You can't you can't beat that knowledge. And now to the golden boy of the apprentice ranks in New South Wales, your star junior Reese Jones, who finished sixth on the New South Wales Jockeys Premiership last season with about a hundred and two and a half winners. He's in fifth spot already in the new season. His figures have been extraordinary. Yeah, yeah, no, he's um, he's been amazing. He's 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 such a good good kid. He he turned up, couldn't put a head collar on a horse, and I must say, the first twelve months, I was I was thinking, I don't know if this is really going to work out. Mm. Um, but he he stuck to it. He was determined. He stuck to it, and um, he's got a great work ethic and. Um, He's starting to pay dividends now. He's um, he's still learning and, and he's still keen to learn all the time. Um, mm. But um, he, he's very grounded and um, as long as he stays that way, I can see him going going a long way as a jockey. I think yeah. he's got a good career, a career ahead of him. Hasn't been all beer and skittles for the young bloke. He's had a knee reconstruction and he was knocked about in another fall at Corindai too one day, but he seems to cop it all on the chin. Yeah, no, he's a he's a tough little fella. Um, no, it hasn't. Um, as I said he he he's he's got a great. He was working actually when he first came. For the first twelve two years, he's working for me. He he was um, doing the washing up in the RSL club mm. to pick up extra money of, of, of a night time. So like he he's he's got the right work ethic and oh, yeah. he has the value of a dollar. Mm. And um, and he's tough. He's he's not scared at all. He he's. Um, he, he's kind on a horse. He's 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 not. He doesn't pull them around. I, I can't stand riders that pull horses around and mm. and um, are hard on them. Um, but he, he's nice and quiet, and um, no, he, he's got a long way to go. When he rode four winners at a Randwick Saturday meeting earlier this year, everybody jumped to the conclusion that he'd be a fixture in town straight away. But that hasn't happened. You've deliberately held him back. Aided, of course, by the COVID restrictions. Yeah, I, I, I mean, he'd probably be riding in town. We wanted to keep him back um, to give him an opportunity to try and get the the apprentice title in town this year. So we weren't going to send him to town until August, and then COVID hit, and and that sort of put the kibosh on on him going to town really for the moment. Um, but um, but there's no rush. He's he, he can still learn a lot more. Uh, he's, and he's got a lot more to learn from these jockeys out in the bush. Um, it's not, um, you know, and he's found out that once he's lost his claim in the bush, it's not as easy as what it was. So um, he, he's going to ride. He's, he's riding well, and I'm sure in the next six months he'll, he'll um, he will hit town. And, and when he does, when he does come to town, he'll be um, a force to be reckoned with. Yeah, a great uh, and very encouraging assessment by Rod Northam of his apprentice Reese Jones. Well, Rod, congratulations on all you've done. Continued success going forward, and may a horse like Jeune walk into your joint one day.
Oh wow, that would be <laughs> that would be amazing. Um, yeah, I, I, I would I would love to have a horse like Jeanne. That Group One win would be would be super. But uh, yeah, a champion horse like that would be absolutely amazing. Mm. Among my most vivid racing memories are the reflections of Wayne Harris and Jeanne charging to the lead halfway down the straight in the nineteen ninety four Melbourne Cup. They were poetry together. Oh, they were. They were. No, it was. Um, it was a great moment. Everybody had written him off um, the, um, after the after he ran on the Saturday, and um, as soon as it rained, we knew that uh, <laughs> it was going to be the real Jean. Mm. Uh, he pulled hard in the McKinnon Stakes on the Saturday. Pulled fiercely, in fact, but he didn't pull with Wayne Harris in the Melbourne Cup. He had him travelling. He was on the bit and strong, uh, but much better than he had been in the McKinnon on the Saturday. Yeah, no, with Wayne's hands, um, amazing hands on a horse. Um, that was why he had such a great association with Jean. Um, there wasn't many; there was only a few people that could hold him in track work. Mm. He wasn't uh, he wasn't an easy horse to ride, but um, but mm. Wayne got the best out of him. Rod, uh, lovely chat, mate. Delighted to have you on on a podcast produced by Supernova Sound, and keep up the good work. Oh, thank you very much, John. It's uh, a pleasure to talk to you, and um, I've been a I've been a fan of yours since I was a young fella. So it's it's been amazing to have a chat to you. Thank you, Rod. Why do they all say that to me these days? <laughs> since, since you were a young fella, <laughs> wasn't yesterday, mate? We were both younger. <laughs> we were, and Rod, I'm delighted and very privileged to still be talking about my favourite subject uh, at this advanced uh, age. Yeah, no, um, there's, there's, there's nothing better than racing. Good to talk, Rod. Thank you very much. Thanks, John. Thank you. The team at Inglis are describing this year's ready-to-race catalogue as the best ever assembled. The sale is scheduled for Tuesday, October the 12th and will feature 185 two-year-olds by some of Australia's most in-demand stallions and some exciting new sires. Most importantly... These youngsters have been prepared by some of the most talented breeze-up experts in Australia and New Zealand. The English ready-to-race sale leads the way in the field of two-year-old auctions with more than 400 individual winning graduates since 2015 accumulating almost $60 million in prize money. This year's entries will breeze up in New South Wales, Victoria, Queensland and New Zealand. High quality videos of each and every workout will be available on the English website within 48 hours of the gallop. At your leisure, you'll have the opportunity to assess tractability, action, attitude and potential ability. To order your hard copy of the Ready to Race catalogue, email catalogue at inglis.com.au or speak to one of the English Bloodstock team on 9399 7999.